Hi, this is Nancy Yearell, and welcome to Nancy's Psychic View on the High Road to Humanity. And Elizabeth Cunningham is joining us today, and welcome to the High Road. Thank you so much, Nancy. I'm glad to be here. I'm excited you're here. She's written so many books. I am. We are so blessed that she's here. We're going to talk today about The Return of the Goddess. It's a divine com comedy. Now, this book, I will just say, I'll give you a little background here, was first published in 1992. She actually started writing it in the 80s uh, when she was a mom with young kids. But I'm going to tell you something. It's a Halloween one. As I was reading, even though it's the goddess, it talks about Halloween and I couldn't put it down. It's amazing. And you guys, we're blessed she's here because she is the descendant of generations of Episcopal priests. She grew up hearing rich and sometimes terrifying um, biblical language, which she was not in the church or school. She read fairy tales and fantasy novels, and she wandered into the enchanted wood of an overgrown abandoned estate door to the rectory. Her religious background, the magic of fairy tales and her experiences in nature is what has motivated her to do this work. Now, she has written The Maeve Chronicles. It's a series of award-winning novels. Uh, Celtic, Magdalene, Elizabeth is pleased to introduce new and long-time readers to the new edition of the book. So it's been, she brought it back because we need the goddess. Yes. And she's going to tell us how she connected with the goddess. And this is all about the goddess. And this is going to be a really fun show. So I want everybody to share this because it's important that we learn about the goddess. Because I feel like we just haven't, we're, we've been like, um, I think she's almost been like disguised or kept from us in a way. You know, that's how I feel intuitively. But, I think sight. Is that, it's true, isn't it? Yeah. Before we even get into it, and it's going to be a fun show today, I want to just bring up, uh, this come from the NPR, Israel and Hamas war. The UN chief says his Hamas remarks were misrepresented. I don't know if you guys are keeping up with what's going on, but here's what's happening. So the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres said he um, his comments at a Security Council meeting on Tuesday have been misrepresented by Israeli leaders who called for his resignation. The Gaza Health Ministry reports the death toll has climbed to 6,546 people. These are souls. These are people. As a leading aid group says local fuel supplies could run out. Now, here's the scary thing. The leaders from Hezbollah, Hamas, and Palestine Islamic Jihad reportedly met yesterday. They had a little meeting to discuss the next steps. So I'm just gonna say everybody prayers out there to stop this because this unrest is is escalating. And um, I don't, I feel like it's really gonna escalate. That's what I feel like intuitively. I give you my intuitive take. I don't wanna sound, um, you know, the light always wins, you know, good always overcomes, but this, uh, this is gonna be a, a bad situation. I want to mention that Mike Johnson, um, he is the uh, representative from um, Louisiana, and he's a congressman, and he uh, looks like he's going to be the Speaker of the House, and I think it's really cool, and I just want to bring up that on News with Nancy this week, I predicted that he was going to be the one, <laughs> so you could all go back and look, <laughs> and the only other thing I would you say, Elizabeth? Hold you accountable. Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny. You know, I'll do my uh, psychic prediction and I just gave it. And then today it came out and I was like, oh, okay. Anyway, um, 
and, and just so you know, y'all comes from angels, didn't come from me. So before we get into the book, I want to mention that um, this is the headline. Superintendent cancels Halloween, bans costumes in school, citing DEI and potential harm to students' dignity. You guys, I love Halloween. Don't you love Halloween, Elizabeth? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, this is what it says. A New Jersey school Wait, district canceled official, what? Oh, New Jersey, you said? Yes, New Jersey school district canceled the official school-wide ho Halloween celebrations. Yeah, I think that's been happening for a while, yeah. Mm -hmm. Citing its diversity, equity, and inclusion values and the purported potential for the festival to be offensive to people from various culture and religious backgrounds. You know, I just want to say, come on, you guys, there's some things in life that we just have to have, and Halloween is one of them. Yeah. What do you what do you think about all this, Elizabeth? I want to hear. I, well, hear. I would say that Halloween, which is also called All Hallows Eve, is a pretty interfaith holiday. It's it um is there's some equivalent of it in many cultures. It, it exists in the church, and it also exists among people who are earth centered. It exists um it coincides, I think, with the Day of the Dead in Mexico. Right. Correct. Um, I think it's a time, it's the time of year in many cultures and many religions when you realize, oh, we're on a continuum between life and death. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're one community. And I think it has a great potential for good. Um, well, I think the reason why people find it fearful and make it into something fearful, which, you know, can be silly and or ghoulish is that because we are kind of I mean we're mortal we're afraid of death we don't know maybe we do know or maybe we have intuitions but in this life in this incarnation those of us who are still living and breathing haven't stepped through to the other side yet and some of us are scared and some of us are curious um, but we all have ancestors over there and we all have people we love over there. And one of the prayers I pray every day is for the people who, who have died suddenly and the people who have lost people to sudden death, whether it's catastrophe or war. Um, and I always ask the ancestors and the angels to come and help. Right. And they do. And I just want they to, I'm sure they do. They do. And just, yeah, I, I'm an angel communicator. You probably don't know that. And I can tell everybody. <laughs> Yes. yes. Everybody has a guardian angel. Yes. Everybody has a guardian angel. And you I know, know the angels must be really busy right now. Yes, they are. Yes. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And and I'm just so glad you're here to talk about the goddess. Before we get into it, I just will say, will say very quickly that as you were talking about Halloween, you know, the Day of the Dead is what um, they uh, celebrate in Mexico and it's honoring the dead as well. Yeah what it does so and the I church think. does that too the christian church does that to all souls all saints that's the right. communion of saints that's right. which we're part of that's well that's true yeah yeah now, i'm curious i have to know because this just blew me away mm -hmm. this book i mean you guys you're gonna have to pick this up it's it's just come out again the return of the goddess you know she is an ancient, uh, you say she's an, she is ancient, as old as the human reckoning of time, maybe older, but how did she come to you to write this? Because she wanted you to write this. She did. Yeah. Okay. I want to hear your story. Okay. All right. So yeah. And in many ways, my own personal story was what I try. These are the characters are not me, none of them, but but what happens in the book? Well, I'll tell my story and then I'll tell how it relates to the book. Okay. I was a young mother 
as you say. Um, I had, I was in my childbearing years and I had had one miscarriage, one, and I had a toddler and I wanted to have a second child. And then I was in the midst of a second miscarriage and I was feeling like, I was thinking about what I had written and how I had never really written about the church itself. And, um, you know, I thought of all the books that I had written and what was I writing about and why was I writing it? And I think I was trying to distract myself from the fact that I was having a second miscarriage. And then I heard, you know, how you hear voices. Well, you know how you hear voices. I do. Yes. And I was on my way to a doctor's appointment and I was asking these questions about what do I write? Why do I write what I write? Why have I never written about the church? And I had written, my first book was called The Wild Mother. And another book I had just finished was about a wise woman living in the woods. So I heard this voice and the voice said, you have been looking for me all your life. And then it was like everywhere I looked, I could see her. And I realized, oh, I have been looking for you. And that's who I'm especially needing and missing now that I'm a mother and that I'm going through grief and loss. Mm -hmm. And the rights of my church don't really address my experience yeah. from here down. Yeah. And so I knew, so that's how she came to me. And I think it wasn't like everything was suddenly clear and I knew who she was. I mean, you know, I'd read, you know, books about Greek goddesses, maybe Egyptian goddesses, but I knew nothing about the goddess. I knew nothing about the goddess as a presence that could speak to me as a presence that was embodied in me and all around me in the earth. So, I mean, my first question was, oh, well, who are you and, and, and what do you want? And what does that mean for me who, you know, considered myself a fairly orthodox Christian at the time? Mm -hmm. How do I integrate this? How do I incorporate this? How do I put this together? And, yeah. you know, and, and meanwhile, I was having babies and taking care of children and doing all that. Yeah. And so that question continued through my second um, childbirth and raising children. And then I really began to realize, of course, what I, and she said, she kind of turned it around. I was like, what do you want from me? And she says, well, what do you want? I love it. Oh. And I said, well, you know what I always want? I want to write a novel. I want to write about this. I want to be able to express this. And that's when this, um, the opening scene came to me where the minister's wife is sitting on the back steps on Halloween with the leaves flying all around in the evening falling. And she has made some homemade Play-Doh. Mm -hmm. And she's playing with her children and talking to them and saying, you know, and they're like, oh, they're making dinosaurs. And she's saying, oh, what's that? And what's that? And she's just playing with her Play-Doh. And then all of a sudden her son says, well, what are you making? And she looks at what's in her hands. And she has made this figure of this, this powerful female figure that basically is giving birth to the whole world, to the earth. And she's like, who are you? And what do you want from my life? So she ends up with my same questions. And what I wanted to really convey in this book, once I started writing this book and started doing research and started asking questions, I realized I was not alone. Right. People had written about this subject. Other people were experiencing this. Other people were meeting and talking. 
many of them had the same experience of the goddess just coming to them spontaneously the way she did to me. And that's what I wanted to write about. I didn't want to write it. Well, my character said, who's the goddess? And so she signed up for a workshop or my character, <laughs> you know, said, yeah. who's the goddess? Oh, let me go to the library, which of course I did all those things. Right. I want people saying, the goddess is here. She's in my life. I don't know who she is. She's changing my life. She's challenging my life. So she does that not only with the um, the minister's wife, but there are three other characters. Mm -hmm. There's an old woman who's yeah. bedridden in the little house next door, who um, is a very, you know, longtime devout Episcopal lady, although she's not terribly concerned about orthodoxy at all. And then there's a wild wood, like the one that I grew up next to, and um, someone who's keeping the wood, who's a very mysterious figure, who's yeah, probably- The caretaker. The caretaker. Yeah, the caretaker. Yeah. And then there, oh, there's a real wild card who is um, Marvin, who's just been released from prison mm -hmm. and who's coming to stay with his um, one of his female relatives, who's a, an Episcopalian. He's black. He's streetwise. He used to be a player. Now he doesn't know what he's doing. And the goddess comes to him, too, in a very mysterious way. And so they're all, they all start to get linked by their spontaneous experience of the goddess. And in the meantime, I am asking those questions as a minister's daughter of where are the roots of this? Well, the roots are right there in Christianity and deeper than Christianity. And they're all intertwined. Well, let's talk about that. Um, and yeah. first of all, I just need to say this is so intriguing and so well written. I couldn't put it down. This mm -hmm. is I mean, you're a wonderful writer. I just have oh, thank you so much. I was just like, wow. I was felt like I was in the story with you, you know. And that's that's when you well, know that's really what you written. want. Yeah, yeah, that's when you know it's good. Um, talk about this. You know, it's just in the past, and I, I'm gonna I'm pretty naive when it comes to the goddess. You know, there's you. I've interviewed people who've talked about this, but nobody's really gotten to the root of this. You know why? I almost feel like, okay, this is what I feel like. And you can correct me. I feel mm -hmm. like men wrote the Bible, took the women out of it and the goddess got left out. That's how I feel. Am I correct? I think that that, I think there's a lot to that. I think she sneaks in in various places, but yeah, she was quite left out. Although there are amazing female characters in the Bible, but they don't really get their own point of view very often. Although we have Mary, the mother of Jesus, singing the Magnificent Magnificat. But um, one thing that I, I was not raised Roman Catholic, and one thing that Protestants notice from our vantage point being raised in the Protestant churches, oh, y'all have Mary. We don't get to see her very often. I mean, she comes out for a little bit at Christmas and then the women come out for a little bit at Easter, um, you know, when they go and see Jesus at the tomb. So, right. but, but otherwise they're missing and it's like, I miss them. I felt like I really, really missed them. So yeah, I think one thing that's happened is a lot of people have been writing the lost story. There's my kitty. There's I know my, my cat does that too. That's why I'm laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I love I it. Bridget, that's right. This is Bridget, yeah. I yeah. So, Please. yes, they are missing. And I don't know exactly why. The same thing happened in a lot of cultures around the same time is that there were um, there was a cultural shift. And it seemed I don't know, I can't explain the roots of patriarchy, but it happened and we have it. 
And um, there's been an imbalance that I think many people are trying to address in many ways. Yeah, I agree. Because it's, and I agree with that wholeheartedly, because it all became male. I can even speak for myself uh, as a real estate broker for many years, I wore the suit, tried to be like the guy, because, yes. you know, that's the only way I knew I could succeed. And, and, you know, that it has to come back into balance, you, you know, where it's the male and the female, because the female, um, I believe the females were in charge a long time ago. They probably were in there. Who knows? Maybe there was an imbalance then too. Right, where it was more female you, and less male. If you think about it, if you're just on this earth, figuring out this earth and living from the earth and being completely sustained by the earth and not having anything between you and the earth, then you know the earth is giving life. You see the women around you, they're giving birth. Um, so it makes sense that that the first thing people knew was the mother, the mother earth and the mother goddess, mm -hmm. not that the goddess is only a mother, not that female only has to mean mother, but um, it does make sense. And then, um, oh, and I think one, pro one little problem that people may have had back in the days of matriarchy or back in those earth and earth-like days was like, I think this is speculation, but I think there was a time and in some cultures still is where everyone raises the child, where all the female relatives raise the child, where everybody's, you know, everybody's raising all the children and all the children are welcome. And whose child it is wasn't did not become a huge question for okay. a while. And I think in patriarchy, it did like who, how do I know that's my child? How do I know? Well, if I can't control the woman that I'm with, then I don't know. And I don't like that. So I think that's one of the roots of patriarchy is really feeling like the need to establish, well, who's my, who's got my genetic material. And mm. I think it's a time when maybe we didn't focus on that so much. It was just like, oh, good. Here's new life. Interesting. Yeah. And then, but, but once you say, well, it has to be my child, then you run into a lot of things patriarchy, private property, handing things down only to your own line, things like that. Interesting. Yeah. Now, now I'm, I'm curious. That's all speculation, by the way. I'm not, I'm not a scholar or a historian. No, but I just think that's a real, that's yeah. an interesting take on it. Now I need to understand this. So she's here and she, she seems to be wanting to come back into view or is it us that are raising our consciousness and bringing her back why do you think the return is of the goddess right now well it's probably both and um and i think that uh, i think one of the things that the goddess represented and why all those religions were for a while so reviled sort of back to I need to control who's my progeny and who's not my progeny. There is sort of like an overall need to control mm -hmm. and subdue. And like, and in some ways you can understand that if you feel like you need to be in control of agriculture and everything else, cause you have to make sure you're going to survive and you get carried away with the idea of control. Then um, part of what you come to mistrust is the earth itself um, all the things that can happen that are calamitous. You start to mistrust the body. The body can get sick. The body dies. So you keep trying to reach for something that is not of the earth, that's more than the earth, that's better than the earth, more certain than the earth. So I think part of what's happening is that the earth itself has to be 
recognized as a living being. And I think some people see the goddess that way, not so much an anthropomorphic. You can see her as Athena or Bridget or Isis or all who are all sort of, um, you know, have images that, that relate to human women. But there's also like the earth itself. And I think the earth is really needing our attention. Yeah, I agree with that. There's well, yeah. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, this a song that I learned to sing in some um, in some earth-centered circles was the earth is our mother we must take she she will take care of us the earth is our mother we must take care of her. So I think that one part of the shift is instead of seeing the earth as this thing that to be feared or the body as this thing to be feared or death as this thing to be overcome it's like yeah we're here, we're on this planet, we're mortal, we're embodied, we can nurture each other, or we can harm each other. Mm -hmm. So I think that's all part of the return of the goddess, too. It's like, let's not despise what we're made of. Yeah, there is probably something after death, as we were talking about the veil being thin. But I don't think I don't think that means we're supposed to despise where we are right now. Yeah, I agree with you. We can make it heaven on earth if we want to. We choose how we want our reality to be. And I always tell the audience, of course, I connect every day with the divine source and that energy and I stay balanced. And, you know, but a lot of us have forgotten about the earth. I always forget the ground. And so I've got myself a a, a ball, a copper ball that I hold on to. And mm -hmm. I really have to really have to think about rooting myself down into the earth. Right. You know, it has to be, it's actually a... Um, you know, it's a practice that you do uh, yeah. in order to ground yourself. And grounding is so important because if we don't ground, if we're not in touch with the earth, we are just out there. We're everywhere. Um, yeah. We're so of, yeah. yeah. A lot of religions, just to put that image of grounding, a lot of religions, um, whether, you know, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, um, all the older religions, the um, earth standard religions, a lot of them have the image of the great tree, the tree of life. Mm -hmm. That's true. And in, in some sense, I mean, even Christians in some sense see the cross as the tree of life. I mean, mm -hmm. that it, a lot about the tree which is why in the book there's a lot about the sacred grove and yes yes it from being cut down right yeah. exactly and you know now we're seeing so all the fires that we've seen all summer i mean our trees are in peril and our trees are um how we breathe and the life in our ocean you know the corals in peril too right yeah exactly well, and I always talk on the show and I would like for you to talk about it. The energy comes from the earth is very healing. You know, uh, I know that I, if I go out, take off my shoes and stand on the ground, I can feel the energy coming up through my feet. I know mm -hmm. that the Native Americans, I, they probably still do it. They used to do it where they would take the babies who were sick and they would put the babies down mm -hmm. into dirt mm -hmm. to heal them because the earth and that I think we've forgotten that part. And, and I yeah. would like to see that come back. Um, do you, what do you think about this? The, it's yeah. healing, you yeah. know? It is. I think the earth itself, like you say, if you are out there barefoot, you can feel it. Yes. And I'm sure there are a lot of practices that involve connecting with the earth. That's interesting that you bring that up. The other thing about the earth is that we're all made of it. Yes. So when we have so much division and strife, the thing that we have in common is, oh, we need food. I think there's a lot of ways that people could connect through sharing food and sharing the way they 
cook food and prepare food so that instead of having wars, we had feasts. There and you go. Potluck feasts. I mean, I know it's not as simple as that, but when you think about it, some, one thing that overcomes political and other divisions is food. And one of the things that we have to address is how are we growing it, you know, and how are we distributing it? And we all need it. So we, you know, we can't, no one can say, well, I don't need food. Or, or, mm -hmm. And that's become a big thing too. All this genetic altering of yeah. our food has been a real big thing. I don't go out to eat. I can't go out to eat. When I go out to eat, it makes me sick. Uh, I, oh. I will say, yeah. And it's gotten to the point, I'll just, since you brought up the food, this the other day, I bought some natural hamburger and I made my stuffed peppers. I make the best stuffed peppers ever. And I got so sick because it's almost like, and I'll just, I'll just say this. Yeah. I feel like not to get out there, but when you're really connected, your body rejects that because yeah. my body completely rejects that meat that is, you know, that is yeah. out there on the market and I can't eat it. And I, I feel like our food supply is becoming more and more contaminated. And I could feel that. What yeah. do you think? Oh yeah. I think that's a really, I mean, I'm talking about, oh, let's have a nice big potluck feast, but to talk about food, I think that is one of the fundamental things we have to address because yeah. I'm a, I'm a vegetarian. I'm not like a militant one, but yeah. I think when we think about um, how is food raised, yeah. like, the animals that are raised commercially do not have a life that can be called a life. And, but in, you can't be superior and say, well, I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat them because a lot of the way our other food is raised is by people who are, you know, being underpaid and put and working in terrible conditions. So I think merely to talk about the goddess, it's not irrelevant at all to talk about food because the earth is the source of our food and how we treat the earth and how we grow the food is part of, as part of honoring the goddess and honoring life. So yeah, I think that's like a fundamental that we have to look at. Where does the, if we're going to eat meat, how is it raised? What life did that animal have? Yeah. Going to eat not meat. How did the people working in the fields, how are they treated? Yeah. Well, because it makes a difference in your food because yeah. everything's energy and it's all energetic. And yeah. so I've realized this over time, Elizabeth, and I'm sure you know this, but you know, if you have an animal like the chicken, I can't really eat chicken so much, but it either, because it's like you said, they're not raised with any kind of life. There's no freedom. And that yeah. energy, factory. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, the energy gets into you when you eat that you're eating that negative energy is what I feel. Yeah, you are what you eat was an old saying from I don't know whether it was the 60s or the 70s. I'm yeah. very lucky where I live because there are a lot of um community supported agriculture nice. farms around where I live. Nice. Also, I think that um one of the things that may be more accessible, at least anywhere that there's any countryside are, um you know, eggs raised on small family true. farm. True. It does I, make a difference. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Let's, um, so do you still, do you talk to the goddess on a con continuous basis still? It I, sounds like you're friends. Yeah. Friends. Yeah. I'll tell you, um, you mentioned the Maeve Chronicles and yeah. I mean, I not to, so just this book was my first, like, who are you? What do you want? What's going on? And I loved writing this book. I was in love with writing this book. I think it was one of the happiest times of my life. Yeah. 
when and I used to talk to the characters if I didn't know what was going to happen next we would have a little meeting and I would say okay so and each one of those four characters would speak to me and it'd be like oh okay I didn't I hadn't thought of that thank you and um when I finished writing this book I just felt so bereft and homesick and I felt like oh I can never write again I have nothing more to say oh my gosh and that's when I started um now we're going to get into Maeve now because you asked me if I talked yeah yeah so I I ended up drawing pictures and I drew a picture of this big bodacious redhead and I said who are you (laughs) and she had a sort of 20th century incarnation and then I said, wow, could you be in a novel? Because I'd really like to have you in a novel. You are so cool. And she didn't think any of my conventional novels were very interesting at all. And finally, one day, I, her name was Madge. And I thought, Madge, Magdalene, a lot of the same letters, red hair. Well, what if I said, would you be in a book about the Celtic Mary Magdalene? Uh-huh. Because what I felt I was missing, even after writing this book and after connecting with a lot of people who did earth-centered ritual and after feeling like I love the goddess and I knew the goddess and the goddesses everywhere, I really wanted a goddess who was like incarnate. Like what I was missing most, and I wasn't really missing it because I still talk to Jesus too. Right. I I am an incarnationist. I love that somebody who is, you know, like, god incarnate could have a bad day and could get annoyed and could get have to need to wash the dust off his feet and i said i want an incarnate goddess i want the goddess who's walking on this earth and stubbing her toes and having a bad hair day and um i want a human goddess and so that's who Maeve became for me mm-hmm. and uh, i spent 20 years writing from her point of view four books and after that, you could better believe I was I was bereft, except that I knew Maeve was never gonna leave me. And she never has. So there for me, there is sort of like the goddess who's everything, who's the earth, who's all of time, who's the cosmos. There's that goddess. Mm-hmm. And then if I need help, there's Maeve. And I don't do this. If I wake up at night and I'm having a problem, I just say, Maeve. And she says, I'm right here. See, now that's how I feel about my guardian angel. Oh, I love my angel. I have angels too. Right. Yeah. So that I do the same thing. I, if I have a hard time, I'm like, hey. <laughs> it's like, it makes it very, imme- I mean, I feel like it, yeah. I feel like maybe that is a human need. There's this great expanded cosmic thing. And then there's this like, I really don't know what to do about this or that problem that I'm having. And I have to talk to this person tomorrow. And she really helps ground me. And she also helps cut through all my, I just want to do it right. And I want to be perfect. And I want to always say the right thing and never offend anybody. And oh, oh, did I offend, you know, all that stuff that's really mine. She's like, right. Just cuts right through it. And um, yeah, so I feel like, and I think the thing about a character like that, and of course, Maeve is a fictional character, but for me, she's an aspect of the goddess, Mm -hmm. is that when when something is that real to you Mm -hmm. and comes out of your own need, then she becomes real to other people. So it's very cool because I've had people say, well, well, I talked to Maeve the other day. (laughs) Girl gets around. I don't know everything she does. And I'm like, you know, she also got in a lot of trouble in her life. So just be careful <laughs> I love it I love yeah, it she's a, she's a you know she's a very human troublemaking goddess who's rash and impulsive and makes mistakes and but she's divine I love it I love it that's so cool 
this has changed your life, hasn't it? Meeting yeah. the goddess. Oh, absolutely. I think it was like one of the watershed moments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet, in a sense, I think I like she said, well, you've always been looking for me. So one of the things that I remember from when I was three years old, um, my father was a minister. So that's the background to that story. For some reason, I was really angry with God and Jesus. And I decided that I was going to roll a boulder over on him and like in a roadrunner cartoon. So that was how serious it was. So oh my God. My cousin told me, oh no, 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 you better say the Lord's Prayer right now. But that same, and I've eventually made friends with them, or anyway, with Jesus. But that's how deep it was for me. My my struggle with the church was that old. But that same summer that I had that memory, we were also that was the first summer that I met the ocean. And I remember being three years old and running into the, you know, the foamy surf and singing my heart out. And to me, that's my first encounter with the goddess. I was three. I didn't know, oh, this is the goddess. But I was like, I am ecstatic. I am embracing life. I am embracing the ocean. And I, you know, maybe forgot all a moment about killing God. You know, it's like. Well, why did you feel that way? Do you think it's because you were raised in a strict uh, household or what made you so angry against God and Jesus? Oh, well, my father was a pretty um, scary person. I think he was a very good parish priest, but he had a lot of problems as a father and he was unpredictable and raging and he drank and, you know, sometimes priests do that and lots of other things. And I also saw him as being very unavailable and he was, he was also a workaholic. Like whose fault was that? God's. Oh, I see. Probably in my mind. I don't know if I thought that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I was able to think in terms of cause and effect. That was probably more emotional. But it's interesting to me that I had my run in with them, which mm-hmm. I, as I say, made peace with Jesus. But also the same summer, I'm like, I'm singing to life. I'm singing to the goddess. And well, with I, a release, it was like, yeah. yeah. And also, yeah. it was this huge embrace. So when I had that experience happen to me in the midst of my second miscarriage and the goddess came to me, as soon as I recovered from that miscarriage, I knew I needed to go away for by myself for a weekend and go to the ocean. I had the impulse to go back to the ocean. Mm-hmm. For me, it was a four or five hour drive um, from where I live. So I went to the ocean just to be near her. That was how I knew to connect with, there's other ways to connect, but I went back to that three-year-old who was embracing the whole ocean, to the ocean. And that's when I, um, yeah, she talked to me again. She says, you're going to have a daughter. You're going to name her Marina. And this was before she was even conceived. And I went back to my husband. I said, yeah, we're going to have a daughter and we're going to name her Marina. And he said, the place where you tie up boats? And I said, no, Marina, it means of the sea. Of the sea. Oh, my gosh. And I did have a daughter, and I did name her Marina. Oh, God bless. Yeah, but that was another time that that voice came to me very strongly. As I was by the ocean, I was grieving the loss of, you know, another child through miscarriage. You're going to have a daughter. You're going to name her Marina. Okay. That's fabulous. Well, you know, I want to say something about the water because I'm the calmest at the water. Mm -hmm. 
I think a lot of people are, uh, just like you were speaking of. It's uh, and I and I've always felt a connection, but I think it's because we are made of. I think it's seventy percent water. Yeah, and that's where was our first home was floating around in our mother's ocean. See, oh my gosh, talk about that, Elizabeth. Well, we were floating in an amniotic fluid mm-hmm. before we're born, and we're listening to the whoosh 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 of her blood and heartbeat mm-hmm. oh when you talk you talk about that a little bit in the book with the minister's wife when she goes to take a bath and and she connects with that and so you bring yeah. that up in the book which I thought was really cool yeah and she and I want to say I, I don't want to spoil spoil the book for anybody or for myself actually but she makes this this uh cl- this um goddess and she makes it out of play-doh which she had made home homemade play-doh and the husband finds it and he freaks out over what she does and i just it's just it's almost like well yeah that's probably what would happen with that guy yeah i i have to say that there's (laughs) wonderful characters in this book but paul allen he's uh well he deserves what he gets but Kind of there to stand in for all the stuff we're talking about, which is hatred of the body, fear of women, fear of loss of control. And I'm sorry, Alan, I just couldn't make you any more three dimensional. You had to be there. (laughs) You know, you, I I know why you probably brought this back. It's time. Well, um, my publisher decided to bring it back. Yeah. What does the goddess say about it? I, she's always like, yeah, another edition. Cool. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope it does dovetail. I hope it is time. I hope it gets to have another life and yeah. And in the book that I, I really only like to write novels, but for some reason I wrote on that, this thing called my life as a prayer, which is coming out on November 7th. I know we're going to have to have you back. Yeah, I'd love to come back. Um, a lot of the stories, like the one I just told, I, I do tell the story of how all those books came. So the goddess definitely is in this book and the story of how she came into my, my life, life as a prayer. And it comes out November the 7th? Yep, November 7th. And it, it's um it, it's it's called a memoir, but and it is, but I I chose what I included in it to based on, you know, the things that I've learned about prayer and the communities that I grew up in and that I joined later and all the transformations that I went through um, as a member of a believing community because there was Episcopalians, Quakers. Um, then I re- the goddess came and turned my life around and I did have an earth-centered community that I was part of. And then I became an interfaith minister. And now I'm, I just turned 70. I think now I'm sort of in my hermit phase. Not that I don't see people. I see people all the time, but my, um, my ritual life is more of a hermit's life now. So it's all about that. And then it's all about everything that I'm thinking about, about prayer. So in some, the second half, but I'm still thinking, so I could have kept writing it, but you know, it had to come to, it had to end somewhere. (laughs) My thoughts about it do not end. My thoughts about prayer are ongoing. Right. And I want to talk about that because I'm, I am on the same wavelength as you, as far as I really believe in the power of prayer. And I, I write, I'm writing a new book right now myself about angels and prayer, 
but it's a spoken word. And I want to talk about this and I want to hear your um, take on it. You know, I have learned that the spoken word, the vibration is so powerful that it goes out into the universe and the universe responds. And so uh, I had a girl on my show and she talked about her near-death experience. And what really got me with her near-death experience was her family was praying. And as she was out of her body, she was watching the prayers go up. Oh, wow. And that was so cool because I know like in my heart and soul that when you pray, when you pray for something that God hears you and when you pray as a group, it's, that's why when people come together and they pray, no matter what denomination they are, energy goes out and it change things so that's why i've been like telling people really pray for israel really pray for this whole situation because we actually have the power to stop this what do you think elizabeth well i don't know i i guess with i mean i also um i've prayed in a lot of communities and when i pray by myself in my backyard now every day i feel like that is a community too and it's interesting Uh what you say about the voice because i also have a lot of time where I'm, I go in between the worlds into what I call the presence. And I, that's a silent time in the middle of the night. But when I pray in the morning, I do pray out loud mm-hmm. for everybody that I pray for and for all kinds of things. And lately, I've certainly gotten the guidance that I have to also sing. Yes. Singing is really important. Yes. I don't know in terms, I have seen, I mean, in if you pray a lot, then you see things happen and you say, oh, wow, okay. I don't know if I think of prayer so much as a cause and effect. If I pray, then this will happen. But I feel like if I pray and I'm in alignment with all that is, with the spirit that lives in and through all things and release that, whatever I'm praying, I often say, okay, you know, I have what I call bossy prayers sometimes, like where I know exactly <laughs> what should happen. I have a counseling practice and I'll just... And you know, and she needs, blah, 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 blah. and then I say, you know what I'm <laughs> talking about? But what I feel about that is that my intention of caring for that person, even if I'm really off base about what they need, the, the spirit that lives in and through all things gets it. And whatever needs to happen will happen. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think we have to pray for Gaza and Israel just because we have to. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's going to mean. I don't know how that's going to be answered. But I trust that it will be in some way. Right. I've also, when you said that thing about the, she saw the prayers going up. I was telling somebody once that someone who was in an accident and was in that situation that they, that there was someone praying and that they were very aware of the prayer. So now if I hear an ambulance siren or something, I, or I just pray for whoever that is, because I don't think we know, but I think. Mm-hmm. of all the things that we can do that cause harm prayer is not one of them because i think prayer will be taken and used for good however we pray i agree yeah, yeah. and you know what i've learned which you know somebody told me this a long time ago and i laughed but now i've evolved a little bit <laughs> so <laughs> i even pray for people who are um not so kind sometimes because what i've realized is and maybe you'll address this too when people aren't kind it's because they're it's something within them that is hurting or, you know, is out of balance or they're angry or they're fearful. And so instead of a lot of us, you know, we take it to heart, but instead of doing that, I think I've learned over time, pray for that person because it had nothing to do with me or 
you know, and, and that's been a, a big aha thing for me. I think that's a really great practice. Yeah. And I pray for those people too. Yeah. When I don't always remember, but when I can, then I understand. Yeah. That's the response. Yeah. When I catch myself making a drama or getting stuck in something, I say, oh, oh, okay. I need to, I need to release this into prayer. Well, yeah, we hold on to things. That's something I'm going through right now. We all hold on to stuff. I think that's something that's learned when you're a child to hold on to things and just releasing, um, you know, really is freeing um, for the soul. Well, I want to know, like, what does the goddess have to say about what's happening in the world right now? And is there some positive uh, information that maybe you can... uh, well, I think just the I think we are in a moment of uh I don't I well, I think there's so many things happening in the world that are so difficult that I I don't know. Maybe the best thing I can say is that we it's going to be harder and harder to be in denial and everything whether it's on a large scale or a small scale is reflecting you it you know the large the microcosm and the macrocosm are are amplifying each other. Mm-hmm. So that wherever you're divided or not aligned or wherever the world is, you get a chance to look at your part in that and um, yeah, and pray. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's everybody working on themselves and, and going in and, and fixing themselves. It's going to help. I think, you know, I think, I want- yeah. or praying like one of the things that I also pray because, you know, I'm 70 and I'm not going to be out there in the field necessarily, although I work with people, but I think it's always good to say, well, um, I ask for guidance. What's my part? Please make sure I don't miss it. (laughs) Yeah. I always ask uh, for God to guide me every day. Yeah. And um, the other thing I want to talk about really quick is love before we get out of here today. Let's talk about love quick. Yeah. Well, I've got, I don't know, 15 more minutes if you're good to go. That's good. I'm game for it. Let's go. Okay, cool. Because, uh, you know, and, and I want to say this, and I always put myself out there, but I don't care. I'm here for a reason. So it, I looked for many, many years to find love because I had a mom that was a narcissist and my dad was always at work. So yeah. I was looking for love in all the wrong places. And I can remember even being a little kid and just feeling empty on the inside. But when you do connect with the divine um, source, you can say God, you can say energy, you can say divine source. Then that's when I actually realized that I'm loved and it changed my whole life because it didn't matter if somebody, a person didn't love me. I knew source, God loved me. And when that, when you feel that, then you start to love and then you're able to, you know, and I think we've lost that so much. And I want you to talk about it. I think you just said it as well as anybody could ever. Oh my God. (laughs) I think you really did because I think that way we're coming from full. I mean, full and empty is sort of like, that's a natural rhythm, but if we need someone in something outside to fill then that, that, that lands us in trouble a lot. Um, And that's what I see. Everybody's looking for the new phone or the new computer or the new hairstyle or the new outfit, or, you know, if I just had that, I'd be happy. Or if I just had that new car, I'd be happy. And that's where our society, this is what I really feel. 
has gotten so lost because really the fulfillment comes from inside. Right. It's what you said before about being grounded, that that we're not. And yeah, yeah, and we are bombarded all the time with so much information. But I don't know. I'm thinking about this book. Which uh, one? The one that we're talking about. Okay. I wrote it back in the 80s. It's so good. And she, you got, I have to say, I was shocked that you curse a lot in the book. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, yeah. Um, I'm a minister's daughter. What can I say? We curse a lot. It's like, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I but love- I, I mean, this, this book, I mean, I have to tell, I don't think it's a spoiler for you to know that Esther and the um, her husband aren't going to make it. Yeah, I don't uh, think they make it. <laughs> I was in the phase of my life, I think, and for many years, and finally I'm like 70 and it's okay, where I think that passionate romantic love was a preoccupation, even though I was, you know, married and faithful and all that. Like that human longing and how it, it is part of divine longing, I think that's really what the characters are learning. There are two love stories in this book, two really passionate love stories. But I think what you were just saying about the love coming from the from the healing that, that they're going through, then the way they love is not in that desperate grasping way. It's in a way of this is how we are healing. We are healing mm-hmm. ourselves and each other through this love. Mm-hmm. That's really great. Thank you yeah. for saying that. Yeah. Yeah, the old people's love story and the 30 something people's love story in this book. Well, I want to say, um, I wrote this down in the course of writing this book, you say this novel, I discovered that there were others like me and who had similar encounters with the goddess. And just, um, briefly, if you wouldn't mind, once you started to connect with her and you started to do research, did you then you started to meet people who also had yeah I did I met people and I started going to circles and um, what I really liked I mean I have been an Episcopalian which is lots of ritual and lots of music but very um very from here up except singing is always whole body I mean Bach is whole body um and then I was a Quaker and I loved that silence I felt like when I was a Quaker in some ways what gestated was the goddess but I I have a great um love for Quakers but I didn't end up being able to stay when I started going to goddess circles it was like oh this is what whole body praise and worship feels like because there was dancing, there was singing, there was weeping, there was um, oh, wow. um I don't know that all goddess circles are like that, but the ones that I found my way to and the ones that I eventually was part of creating at a center that I ran, it was like, oh, it was like, what you were saying is like, you can pray alone and pretty much now that's what I do. But when you can come together in a community and transcend just your individual stuff, then there is there is a sort of communal prayer and release that happens. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was very beautiful in goddess circles. Um, lots of singing, lots of dancing, lots of drumming. People would weep if they needed to weep. They would laugh if they needed to laugh. They'd embrace if they needed to embrace. And But, but it was in a ritual context, but so much more full for me than than traditional ritual, although I loved that too. 
And right. Well, I did a drumming circle in New Mexico, but I've never done the goddess circle. And is that pretty much across the United States and the world that they have goddess circles that you can oh, join? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. How do you can how do you well um I think there's different like there are circles that are as formal really as probably the Catholic Church or the Episcopal Church, and those weren't the ones that I was drawn to. It was um um a woman named Starhawk. Okay. who wrote Dreaming the Dark. I went to some of her workshops and I really learned the essentials of ritual from her, which is that you have to create a container for what you're, for the energy that you're raising. And it has to be a safe container and a clear container. There's usually some theme or story often based on what season it is. But then within that, there's room for spontaneity. So I think as far, I don't know how I would go about signing, finding a circle today because I eventually sort of just, creative one okay i expect they are everywhere and that you ask around you possibly you might go to um like the here there's near where i live there's a um a shop called the dreaming goddess and it, it's a shop it's a gift shop but that woman knows everybody and knows all the circles and knows how to would know how to connect someone how to connect yeah yeah so i would say that if you have a shop like that in your area something that sells you know books crystals mm -hmm. things like that that would be a good way to find out well who's meeting in circles i mean there's also there's always the internet but word of mouth is good yeah that's so cool you guys so for everybody out there you know you can find your own goddess circle i think this is really cool you can make your own goddess circle yeah and there's tons and tons of i mean if you there's also i mean a lot of people have recorded to chants mm -hmm. like the one yeah many wonderful chants that people sort of have taught and passed on right and, um, they it's like an oral tradition really like most of the chants that i know i just learned from other people Right, right. Learn them in a book. Right. I for what we've been um talking about, here's one. Okay. That I probably sing differently than other people do because I learned it. You know, it's like it changes a little bit, but it yeah. goes Earth my body, water my blood, air my breath and fire my spirit. And that's because a lot it's of people will call in and honor the four elements and right, bringing in the air, the water, the fire, and the and the earth. Yes. And another one that I learned from someone was mother, daughter, sister, lover, hear us, heal us. It is you we seek within us, goddess, guide us. So if you start going, that's beautiful. Elizabeth. You have a wonderful voice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I love that's one of the things I loved about goddess circles and love about them is that there are simple chants there. You can learn them in two seconds. You don't need to hold a book. And then people start improvising and harmonizing and it becomes yeah. something totally alive. And right. the energy. Yeah, it's energy. Yep. Yeah, it's healing. I love it. You guys, the return of the goddess. Everyone needs to pick this up. I am so happy that you brought it back. And I am so grateful to meet you and have you on my show. I am going to finish this book. <laughs> it's amazing. I hope you'll come back. I want I want you to come back and, and talk about the I, prayer book. I can't wait to read that one. I'd love to come back with this. I think you and I mean, you know, we've really all, already been talking about it as much as the other books. <laughs> 
because I think it's a subject that we both feel passionate about. So I would love to come back and talk about my life as a prayer. Thank you. That would be wonderful. Elizabeth Cunningham, thank you for joining us. Um, Your website, you guys, if you want to find her, um, it is, and I thought I had it right here. What's your website, Elizabeth? Elizabeth Cunningham writes dot com. Yes, and I looked it up. You have a beautiful website. Yeah, if you go there, you can. I think I tried to get the flashing thing saying sign up for my newsletter off because I don't think that's obnoxious, but I couldn't. Anyway, and if it's not there, you can scroll down and you can sign up. And I don't send a ton of newsletters, and they're not tarted up. They're just like, oh, here's what's happening when anything is. So I would love it if anyone listening would sign up for my newsletter. Fantastic. You guys, um, I just want to say before we get out of here today, I re-released my book, Wake Up, The Universe is Speaking to You. I did it last week. It's not as perfect as the first one because I didn't have anybody do it for me, but the information is still the same. And this is really good for people who are learning about this stuff. Um, I'm also writing a new book. You guys, I'm sorry. I'm going to look for that too. Oh, thank you. And I'm working on my new book about angels and about spiritual law. I did mention I'm going to be in LA and I'm going to be teaching angel communication and I'm going to be teaching spiritual law and that's going to be in February. So I hope everybody will come and see me at the Conscious Life Expo and that's 2024. And so I'm promoting that because I think it's really important that everybody come and I'm going to make sure everybody gets their wings. So having Having said that, I will get out of here for today. I hope everybody has a fabulous week. Say prayers for everybody out there. Say prayers for your neighbors. Say prayers for your friends. Say prayers for the United States. Um, And everybody take care and God bless.